Hey yo everybody, welcome to the Joey and Amanda podcast, I'm Joey. And I'm Amanda. And this is take two. Yes. Um, I'm so sorry everybody, it's on me, it's my bad. We had a technical difficulty and we had to pull down the last episode unfortunately, but fortunately... Our guest, Elizabeth Kromhout, is so awesome, and she came back, and we did it again. And actually, this time, it was even better than it was before. It was. I'm so excited. I'm so glad she came back. She's a sweetheart. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. She's so full of knowledge. I wish I can just listen to her all day long, just talk about psychology and people and the human mind. Yeah, Elizabeth is a marriage and family therapist, and together we all... We dive into questions submitted by all of you, and we go through scenarios and situations that you are going through right now that you sent in, and Elizabeth gives unbelievable insight and really, really great guidance. So we were so grateful and lucky to have her here. We are. So Elizabeth isn't just a therapist that reached out to us or we reached out to her. We actually go way back about like five to six years ago. Um... It was a time where I had just gone out of a negative relationship and uh, I was in Los Angeles for about a year. I was like working three different jobs and I was thinking of recouping, like going back home for a little bit and thinking, you know, maybe I'll try another big city like New York or Florida or whatever. But I had an interview with E! Entertainment about like four weeks before then. So when I was home and I thought, okay, I'm just going to start, you know, new I got the call that I got the job to work for e-entertainment. So I flew back to LA and I didn't have a place to stay. So I stayed on Elizabeth's couch. It was Elizabeth and some other roommates and Deanna and Chris Royale. They were so sweet to take me in. I didn't have a place to stay. So we had this bond and she was there for me at like a really, really hard time in my life. And um, it's just so nice for it to be just everything came full circle and now she's here on the podcast. Life is so much better and I'm married to the love of my life. Um, so yeah. It's amazing how the, how you guys just came full circle in this moment. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's so really special. special. Yeah. Yeah, it's so special. It just everything just feels like a puzzle that's like working out and it's just nice to have out of all of the therapists and the world it's nice to have her here. Um, and 100%. she's great. She is great. You guys are in for a treat. You are. Here is our conversation with Elizabeth. All right, take two. <laughs> Elizabeth, I'm so sorry. That's totally my bad. Um, thank you for coming back. Thank you for coming back. This is the one right here. The last one, that was practice round. Yes. yes. That was a practice yes. round. Yes. Um, I'm all for practice rounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so same format as before. I'll be the voice of the people and mm -hmm. read questions and um, other people's uh, stories and situations, and we'll sort of work through them and see if we can give some insight and some Sounds help. That's great. All right. Uh, somebody asked how to not fear regretting ending something. I think fear is always an aspect when we're coming into a change or a decision, but it helps to switch it around. Mm -hmm. Everything new is precipitated by a decision or a change. So it helps to think in your head of, okay, I'm working towards something new. This is going to be exciting. It's going to go the right way. And if it doesn't, then you just make another decision. Mm -hmm. I think the power of decision is one of the strongest powers that we have as humans. 
I think uh, maybe like overthinking. If you think of the big picture, how you're going to feel, then you have to take the first step probably. And there will always be times when you regret breaking up with somebody or maybe it doesn't go as far as regret but sadness yeah sometimes people especially when they're younger it's one of their their first relationships they worried that if i break up with them i should feel fine but that's not how it works at all even if you're the person who's breaking up with them you're still in the habit of texting them all day of calling them of seeing them and it's a loss to your mind but also your brain's addicted to that relationship and to lose that it it's hard yeah, it's, you still feel really sad. That doesn't mean that you should not have ended the relationship or you should still be in it. But it's normal that you also will go through a period of sadness from the breakup, even if you're the one who does the breaking up. Mm-hmm. You said something um, last time that I found so interesting, something about the science that if two people were hooked up to each other, you would see there's some type of an addiction or what was that that you said? Yeah, so if they take people who are super in love and put them in an MRI and they take a picture of their brains, it actually lights up in the exact same way that someone with psychotic addiction does. That's why we feel such a strong pull and such a strong attachment to somebody that we are in love with. And then when that's broken, when you go through a breakup, you go through withdrawal. And we call it an extinction burst. The feeling that you want to contact them and think about them and reach out to them gets so much stronger right after the breakup. And if you can wait it out, then over time, the feeling will start to go down and go away. Same as any withdrawal, whether it's cocaine or it's sugar or it's coffee. Somebody asked how to end something without feeling like you are giving up. You would really have to consider what you gain out of the relationship and what you lose when you're in the relationship, whether they bring out the best in you or the worst in you, you have to decide what giving up means. If you're in your first relationship and you're young and you don't have a lot of ties to this person, there isn't a whole lot to give up. You don't have to keep trying. You learn your lessons that the person has granted you and then you move on to the next person. Mm. If you've been married for 20 years and you have kids and you want to keep trying, then there are certain steps you can take before you feel like you've given up. You might go to marriage therapy. You might wait it out for another six months. You might go through a couple more phases. When you're married, you realize that it comes and goes in waves. There are bad periods where it feels really hard for a certain amount of time. And then there are good periods where it's good for a while. That's different from a toxic or abusive relationship. That's just normal marriage. So I think you have to consider where you're at in life. And then also where, what you personally want to invest. If it means giving up is something you decide randomly on a whim, that might be giving up. But if you can also consider if you have read a bunch of self-help books, if you've sought out a couple's therapist, um, then it might not be giving up. It might be moving into something that's better for you and better for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it might feel like giving up because you're in it and then actually you gain more from it. I don't know. Like there's some people maybe that go through divorce but end up happier after definitely i've had i work with almost only teenagers and i have so many clients say to me i just wish my parents would get divorced like come on already what is this and there is research to show kids are better off in a family where the parents are divorced than they are in a family where the parents are constantly fighting or really unhappy somebody asked how to have courage to push away negative people who are so close to you? Oh, yeah. I I remember getting a lot of these Mm -hmm. when it comes to family members also. If, like, there's you have, like, a negative family member, there was somebody that called in that her sister's an alcoholic, and it's really hard 
um, for their family to to deal with it. So right. I think one of the m- most important things with something like this is being able to set your own boundaries so that you don't allow um, so much that you get angry or you get resentful or you have negative feelings. So say um, your friend or your family member is sucking your energy out. Mm-hmm. It's your responsibility to set a boundary and not answer the phone or say, I have to call you back tomorrow or I can't be your therapist. You can't be leaning on me constantly mm-hmm. for emotional support. It's not their problem if they're taking too much from you. It's your problem if you're letting them take too much. So the first most important thing is to set healthy boundaries with them and to be able to recognize in yourself, okay, if I actually do drive this person where they're asking me to drive them, I'm going to get resentful. Mm -hmm. That's your responsibility to recognize it and say, you know what, I can't can't today. Yeah. Um, And then separately, I think it's important to look around for who the healthy people are in your life Mm -hmm. and try and get closer to them. Um, we are the sum of the five people closest to us. So you, if you're trying to work on yourself to go into personal development, it's really important to take stock of who you're close to and try to be around people who you admire and who stretch you to be a better person and grow yourself. Do you think that, um, let's say, you know, people have a lot of negative people around them. I mean, let's say, let me say this again. Mm. Let's say somebody has a lot of negative people around them. Do you think that if they're on social media and they are following positive people or inspirational people, is that enough or is that just not enough? I'm really glad you brought that up. I don't know that we can say it's enough or not enough, but I've seen major changes even in myself or my clients when they're feeling really down or too negative, they just go through and delete a bunch of the people they follow and fill it with somebody positive. So yes, I think that can change your entire outlook. If you're struggling with an eating disorder and you're following eating disorder blogs, you're going to be only thinking about that. But if you switch it to something personal development Mm -hmm. or something positive, a good hobby, a good thing to invest in and learn, it really does change your mind. Changes so many of the thoughts going through your head on a daily basis. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, this just made me think about um, some people. Uh, you know, they might have depression or anxiety, and then they're following all of these people mm-hmm. that have depression and anxiety. So it kind of fuels in a little bit. But um, I love what you said because instead, maybe they can be researching happiness. Like there's this book that I just finished reading, which is great. It's called the happiness advantage Mm -hmm. and I recommend it for everybody. Um, So yeah, I love that you said that because you can just, you can still help yourself by just researching or following or looking at the positive side of what it is. It's about this guy. He went to Harvard and he studied instead of studying depression, anxiety, he studied happiness and, um, why people are so happy and it, and it helps a lot. Yeah, I think that's extremely important, <clears throat> especially if you have anxiety or depression. Don't follow all anxiety or depression blogs. Follow some kind of hobby or some kind of passion that you want to get into or follow people who are recovering from the anxiety or depression. Yeah, I'm so glad we talked about that. What would that. your advice be for people who have maybe negative uh, or toxic people in their lives, like in their family or close friends, and they are worried about if they start distancing themselves, they'll burn a bridge that can't be recovered for the rest of their lives. Say it's a sibling or a family friend and, and they are cutting them out for the time being because they don't want that energy around them, but they're afraid of if they do that, then they might lose them like forever. 
situations like that happen yeah. and they do exist and they're really scary and they're really difficult. Yeah. And I think you have to consistently check in with yourself um, through personal development, through going to therapy, through meditation to be able to recognize your own feelings. And when you can do that, you'll be able to make a wiser decision on where to set the boundary with this person. And it may have to go so far mm-hmm. as they won't speak to you anymore. Yeah. And that's the way it has to go because right. you can't keep giving too much and feeling negative over right. and over again. Yeah. To- I, yeah, totally. And I get that it's different for every mm-hmm. situation. Everybody's, you know, scenarios are different, but, um, it's a great question. Cause a lot of people ask, a lot of people were yeah. asking that and, and a lot of them came in about family members, parents being the ones that are the negative people. And it's like, they, I know it must that they be don't, so hard. They don't want to cut them out forever, but for the time being, maybe right, right now they can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes, tricky. sometimes when you're younger, you go through a period of time where you maybe don't, you move away to college or you move out and you maybe don't talk to your family for a while. Right. But the goal is to be able to then reconnect with them on the terms that you can see their positives and their negatives um, and accept them for who they are without the fantasy of who you wish they could be or mm-hmm. the parent that you wish they could be. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of internal work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember you also said something that I found interesting and important is people think that they have to change somebody else. Like if somebody's an adult and you have a family member and they're an alcoholic or they do something like you can't change them. Yep. I think we, when it's your family, it's even more difficult to accept. This is a separate person. I have to let them do what they want. I can be here when they come to me and they ask for help. Um, but I can't be trying to reach out and help them and fix them if they're an adult. Right. A lot of times we say, well, my brother's an alcoholic. I have to do everything I can to save him, but he's 25 we don't get the right to tell our brother he has to stop drinking. Mm. That's We can say it to him. We can say that we care and we love him and we're worried. But if he wants to drink, he's an adult. He can drink. Yeah, mm-hmm. We can't change other people into who we want them to be, mm-hmm. especially even if it's something we believe what we want is a moral higher ground of them being sober and safe. Yeah, Changing other people doesn't work. What are some general signs people should be looking for in a toxic relationship i would say in general the most common things are constantly fighting uh, manipulation feeling like they've isolated you from all of your friends from your family from your other support sometimes they're so jealous they don't let you go out therefore you can't continue um, doing your hobbies anymore you feel like you're all alone and you're sad also you find yourself lying to other people about things in the relationship because you don't want it to look bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we read stories of people that sent in um, situations where they got out of uh, these relationships, they pretty much all said that at some point they realized that they were losing their essence in the relationship. They were yeah. losing the thing that made them, them mm-hmm. was gone. And that's when they started realizing, okay, I think something is going on here. Yeah. Um, because a hallmark in the cycle of abuse is the abuser will, sort of beat you down emotionally or physically and then convince you that you're less than nobody else would ever want you. You're so lucky that you're with them. And then you truly start to believe I can't be with anybody else. I don't want to be alone. If I'm not with this person, then I'll be all alone. They start nitpicking you. Mm -hmm. 
And then you just feel like everything you're doing is not right. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is in a relationship where these toxic things are happening, but sometimes they do feel happy with this person, how do they handle that situation? I think definitely most of the time, somebody who's toxic is not toxic 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes really good and sometimes really bad. Now, there's a difference I wanted to um, differentiate between something toxic where people are fighting all the time and mm -hmm. manipulating each other and trying to figure out um, how to be in the relationship and then something that's an abusive relationship where they're physically or sexually hurting you. In that case, you don't ever want to work on it. The Nobody will do couples therapy for somebody where there's physical abuse going on. It's contraindicated basically across the whole field. You can get therapy yourselves individually, um, but in situations like that, it's better to break up. I would say the fact that you realize sometimes it's toxic and sometimes it's happy is a healthy thing. Right. Because you want to be able, a whole person who's healthy can can hold both the positive and the negative in their mind at the same time. Mm -hmm. When you're less healthy, you see everything as 100% bad. I'm going to dump him. It's terrible. I have no use for him. He does absolutely no good for my life. And this is what you're telling your friend. And then two days later, you're back together and he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> That's called splitting. That's a more primitive state where you can't remember when you're in the pit of despair that there are also good times. And also when there are good times, there's really bad times. So you want to be able to remember both and be able to leverage and decide, is this something that I want to be in? Because when you're really happy, the bad times are still going to come back. They're still there. Mm -hmm. And that the reality includes the whole person, not just the good sides of him. Yeah. That reminds me too, a lot of people say, well, I know that he's, or she's really good. I know this isn't really her. She's acting out X, Y, Z. No, she is those positive things that you love. She's also the things that you can't stand. Yeah. They're both real sides of her. Yeah. Just different sides. Yeah. Talking about the the bad and the good, you were saying that everybody has good and everybody has bad. And what's important is to find somebody that their bad is the type like quote unquote bad or like when they're acting out or whenever they're sad or whatever it is, is something that you can handle or that the type of arguing you like or the type of discussions you like yeah okay so i think this is really important when two people meet each other however they meet a lot of times they'll say to their friends oh my god he's so great or she's so great i love everything about her i really want to be with them and what's important to know before you pick a partner is that one of my supervisors who trained me back in the day he's been a therapist for 50 years uh his name is ron first he said it takes three years before you get to know every side of a person. So if you think you know them after a month, you don't. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the most important things is to get to know how they are when they're under the maximum amount of stress, when they're extremely sad, when they're extremely angry, when they're extremely happy. Get to know them in every emotional state, and then you know them. And if you want to be with them, make sure you can accept all of their worst traits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if it's somebody that brings out the worst in you when you're fighting or brings out the worst in you when they're really sad. You need to recognize that that might not be the best relationship for you. Um, but if you don't really mind the way you guys fight or the way you sit down and argue or the way you work through it, 
Mm -hmm. um, if you don't mind when that person gets extremely clingy mm -hmm. um, or extremely sad and you can accept all of their negative traits, then that might be a person you really want to be with. Somebody asked how they can support a friend who is in a toxic or a abusive relationship. So this is a good one that I feel like sometimes we figure out as we get older, not always, but pretty much nobody gets it right the first time when you're young in high school and it's first relationships. What you want to do if you think that your friend is in a toxic relationship, um, if they're underage and it's really bad or there's abuse going on or your friend themselves is finding themselves self-harming or really um, depressed, is go seek out an adult. And I've had so many clients who have told on their friends and their friends have been so relieved because they're just stuck. They don't know how to break up with the person or what to do and their parents can take over and handle it for them. Mm -hmm. so now, I'm sure that's what's holding them back is the fear of their friend being mad at them for doing that. But you're saying yes. that most of the time or all the time they, they are relieved that they... Good to know. Yeah. I yeah. called the police on two relationships that I saw going bad in public. Really? Yeah. I actually called the police once too on a fight. And I, I thought it was a lady screaming, being crazy. This is my neighbor a couple of years ago. And turns out when the cops showed up, she ran on the balcony screaming... Like, help me, help me. He's trying to kill me. And you call the police? Yeah, at 2.30 in the morning. I, it was just a fluke accident that I was still awake because she oh. had been screaming in a different language. Uh -huh. I thought she was being annoying. So I called the cops and I hear like <gasps> glasses throwing and breaking. Oh. And it turns out she was screaming, help me in her native language. Oh my God. But you called because she was I, being loud. Yeah. Oh, that's It was crazy. They showed up. This is in Santa Monica a couple years ago. The cops showed up within about three minutes before I was even off the phone with wow. the dispatcher. Yeah. And then she, I saw her screaming to the people, help me. He's trying to kill me. And turns out the guy was, I think he was some sort of, heavy gangbanger wanted for a murder in San Francisco. What? And this is a very safe neighborhood. The lady was a doctor. Yeah, this wasn't yeah. ghetto at all. Yeah. Yeah. And then they all like brought, all the neighbors brought me flowers for saving the lady's life. And oh my God. Yeah. Wow. That so we had something happen out there, like on that street. We Did we tell you this story? Uh-uh. No? So, oh, So okay. here, go ahead. So you... I'll start with the beginning yeah, and you... Because yeah. I was there in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So, um... One day I was just sitting here and I heard, I feel like I've told this story so many times. I was like, are you sure I didn't tell you? No. So I heard people arguing. So I go to the balcony to see what's happening. And this woman is screaming and she's just like, um, get off of me. Don't touch me. Get off of me. Get off of me. And the guy or her boyfriend or partner, he just wouldn't like let go of her. And I saw people on the street looking, but nobody was saying anything. So I'm like, get off of her <laughs> from the balcony. <laughs> and, I, and then like, he still didn't do anything. I was like, okay, I'm calling the police. So I called the police and then Joey walks in. I don't know what he was running errands or something. He walks in, he sees me on the balcony on the phone, like all riled up. And he's like, what's happening? And, um, I told him what was happening before we, you know, it was super quick too. It was like, three minutes or something while I was on the phone, we heard the police coming. As soon as we heard the, the sirens, he, Joey, well, he, well he, the guy took off. Yeah. He, so I ran, I ran outside. Uh huh. Yeah. So Joey runs outside. Cause I saw where he went. I saw where he was going. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got out there, the police had, he, they were sitting in their car, but they were sort of like 
not knowing what to do. And so I was like, he's, he's that way. So they take off down the street and I'm like running like after them to, you know, see what happens. And they ended up like cornering, they found him and they sort of cornered him. And, uh, at this point, um, people were coming out of their apartments and people were sort of watching and, and he was totally trapped in and it was like, he was giving up. He was like slowly walking to the police and all of a sudden punched a police officer <gasps> in the face like in the side of the head so and if he did that to a police officer imagine what he was doing to her yeah yeah like. and, yeah, and the, pl- the police officer like f- like fell back like stumbled back and the other ones just jumped all over him and ha- they ended up having to like tase him and stuff sounds like he's gonna get himself shot but but the but what was crazy was somebody who had come out she was holding a baby and she was she said oh oh him and i was like wait do you know him and she was like oh yeah they fight all the time. So like, oh man. Now I mean now he's definitely in jail because he hit a police officer. He could have literally it could have just I don't know what he had done, but yeah. he could have just been like, Oh yeah, sorry, everything's fine. But he took yeah. it to the next level. Yeah. Oh, he even got tased. He, he got said. tased, he yeah. did, yeah. Um, but now her life is probably so much better. Yeah. And then there was another situation one time too where there was a girl and she was outside and she kept saying like, let go of my car, let go of my car. And he was holding onto the car door and she just really wanted to leave. It was late at night. It was late at night too. Yeah. And she just, it kept going on and on. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, please just let go of her car door so she can go home. He wouldn't do it. So I called the police. The police came and he let go of the car door and she was able to leave. And that was it. There was a case that I think every psych student learned about in school. Um, The Kitty Genovese case in New York a long time ago, there was a woman being raped. And I think something like 36 people heard her screaming, help me. Nobody called the cops because they all thought somebody else would. Oh my gosh. And then they, I think Mm. they raped and murdered her. Something like that. Uh, I just got goosebumps. So it's, it's one of those things where if your friend or a stranger you see on the street needs help, call their parents and if their parents are not the right kind of people to help then Mm. tell somebody at school Mm. sometimes people get in over their heads and they do need an adult to help them out however if your friend is an adult and adults are allowed to be abused if they want to yeah that's the law it's not illegal for um adults to be physically hurting each other unless you press charges if you don't press charges then they can do what they want um if your friend is in a toxic relationship where they're just fighting, you think that the person is bad for them, I think it's important that you say what you mean really clearly once or maybe twice that the person is bad for them. Other than that, it's, you can't break them up. That's not your right, place. Right. And especially if the person is toxic for them, they're going to end up alienating you from your friend when your friend needs your support. Yeah. So for a while, you can just be supportive of them, listen to what they're saying. If they love the person this day and hate the person the next day, you just kind of go along with it Yeah. and don't get too involved. If it starts to wear you down and it's been way too long, then like we said earlier, check in with yourself about your own feelings and start to set boundaries so you don't become resentful with your friend. Yeah. Mm. But it's not your responsibility to break them up. If you start fighting with them over it, you'll lose your friend. Yeah. Very simple. Um, somebody asked, is it dumb to ignore your gut feeling because of a good time you had? Is there something wrong with me? Is that why I attract the same kind of toxic relationships? It's not dumb to ignore your gut feeling, but you're not doing a very good job of ignoring it because clearly you hear it and you sent in the question. I think when we make decisions 
to maximize our intuition and be able to make the best decision for ourselves, it's important to consult our brain, our heart, and our gut and try to make a decision that works synergistically with all three. What you're saying is that you ignore your gut feeling, which implies something negative that you know this isn't right Mm -hmm. Um, because of the good times. I think there's always good times. It's about can you handle the good and the bad? Can you accept the bad sides of this person? Or maybe they bring out the bad sides in you. Do you want to continue in a relationship where this person's bringing out all the bad in you? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's something wrong with you, but it it's worth wondering yourself what you could be trying to replay from your own childhood. Whereas one of your parents or somebody else that you were really close to, were they good sometimes? And really tough to be around much of the other times. Um, something like that could lead somebody to continue romantic relationships with the same type of pattern. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe that is why you attract the same toxic type of type of relationship over and over. If you're only looking at the good, trying to avoid the bad. Mm-hmm. Once you move on, will you always see this person as toxic and regret the times you had with them? I think that's a matter of personal choice. If you want to see them as toxic, sure. But I think it's more um, more mature and more beneficial to you to turn it around and see what your responsibility was mm-hmm. in the toxic relationship, separate from if you're getting physically beaten. That's obviously not your fault in any way, shape, or form. But if you're in that toxic relationship, you have to take ownership of your own part in it and then also consider what you learned from being in a relationship like that. What kind of green lights and red lights did you learn about yourself? Um, these three characteristics are green lights and you want them in another person because mm-hmm. that part made you happy. And these five things are red flags that you don't want in another relationship because it made you really unhappy and it brought out sort of a crazy side in you. Mm-hmm. And you take it as a learning experience and apply that data to the next relationship. It's kind of like you said, love is like a game. There's different levels or something like that. Yeah, it's you can think of it like a game, especially when you're young. You go through each relationship. To win the relationship is not to have the relationship be successful and last long term. It's to take what you need to learn about yourself and then move up to the next level and the next level until eventually you get to marriage level. Yeah, if that's what they wanted. Yeah, yeah if that's what they want. And yeah. if you don't want that, whatever. But eventually... You're talking about a relationship you want to be in that's healthy. Yeah, exactly. Um, Somebody asked, is getting out the only way to stop? Isn't change possible? So I think this kind of, we talked about it earlier, but we have to separate out if there's physical or sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. the best thing to do is break up. Or if you've been married, separate Mm -hmm. and go to individual therapy and really work on yourselves if the perpetrator is willing to do that if not then you really have to consider you might be in denial Mm -hmm. um if it's more on the other side of the spectrum and it's just you guys fighting you're unhappy the dynamics are not working out um no i don't think you necessarily have to get out i think it's probably better that you go and work on it depending on what the issues are and Mm -hmm. how unhappy you are Change is definitely possible in yourself. So many times people go to couples therapy and they want the other person to change. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work out whether it's your your spouse or your relationship or your family or your brother. It's not going to work out. They might change on their own, but it certainly won't be because you told them to. Mm -hmm. One of the markers of change is you can look historically um, into the past. Have they changed over time? 
or has this trait been stable for a really long time? If, That's interesting. If the yeah. negative trait that you're talking about and wishing they would change has been stable for a long time, you kind of have to remember to see a big picture. It's a, like an oak tree with really deep roots and you're coming at it with a like a toothpick. You only existed for the last six months of the last year of their 25 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to see the big picture of how deeply rooted that characteristic is and what it would actually take for that person to begin to change, they would really have to want to change it themselves yeah. and be really invested in doing it. So it's more effective for you to just work on growing yourself, mm -hmm. wondering why you want to stay in this relationship. What patterns are you unconsciously replaying? And another good resource for something like this is the book Five Love Languages. Mm -hmm. That talks about what to do in situations like this where the relationship is not going the way you want it to go. The other person's not interested in bettering the relationship or going to couples therapy. There are things you can do to show up in the relationship more authentically yourself. And it may or may not impact how the other person is showing up for you. What if you are the toxic one? How do you change without losing the person you're with? Yeah, I think maybe this might be written wrong. I'm assuming they're saying, what if they're the toxic one and how do they change and not lose the person they're with? For starters, it's good that you're recognizing you're the toxic one. I would make a list of all the things you know you do. Now, not to be mean to yourself or play victim or say, I'm so bad, I'm so terrible. A classic trait of depression is you start lying to yourself and all you think all day long is negative thoughts about how bad you are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it slips into victim mode. That is not helpful. Um, you want to talk nicely to your inner child who's hurt and who's lashing out at the people around you. The adult version of you has to be nice to the baby inner child and say, okay, we're going to make a list of everything we want to work on. Maybe it's, I will not pick a fight when I come home from dinner. Mm. And for the whole next week or the whole next two weeks, that's your goal. Don't fight after dinner. Or you set another goal where if your partner offends you or tells you that you're screaming too loudly in the middle of the fight, you will stop, check your tone, and bring it back down to a, a calm level. You set up these goals, and then you address one or two of them at a time for a week, two weeks, until you get the hang of it, and then you add another one. That's if you can't go to therapy. Um, therapy is what I would definitely recommend because what's happening is... At some point in your life, you developed um, coping skills that were necessary for survival. Maybe your parents were kind of crazy or your household was tumultuous. Mm -hmm. um, people were yelling all the time and you learned how to push people away um, so they don't get too close to you. And that was your survival uh -huh. to cover your own vulnerability. And now you're in a relationship where you don't necessarily need those survival tactics anymore, but you're still employing them and it's causing a lot of problems. You need to learn how to shed the old um, survival tactics. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to forgive yourself for mistakes that you make. I, I mean, even bigger, small things like me screwing up the last podcast. Mm -hmm. I, I really was like, I was really hard on myself about that for like all of yesterday. I said, it's fine. I know, <laughs> it, but it's just that sort of thing. It's, hard, it's really hard to forgive yourself when you make mistakes, especially if it's one that you, it's like, I, wh how did I make that? I don't make that mistake. How did I make that mistake? How do I let myself make that mistake? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's something that, that everyone deals with all the time. So, 
But that's really nice. Uh, be nice to your inner, mm-hmm. to your inner yeah. self. Yeah, it's like you that you learned. Like right. so, I always think of you never lose. You only win or you learn. Great. Yeah. Totally. Yep. That what you just said makes me think of another thing, which is sort of like a tangent, but not really. There are some people, a lot of people in relationships who can never apologize. Mm-hmm. I think everybody knows somebody like that. Yeah. Just can't say, you know what, I'm sorry. Yeah. The reason they can't do that is because their inner self is fragile. And if they were to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I screwed that up. I'm so sorry. They hear themselves saying, I am a screw up. Everything about me is awful. And they think black and white. Mm-hmm. And they can't apologize for just doing the audio recording wrong right or just saying the wrong thing they're apologizing for their entire being yeah which their psyche won't let them do so they can't apologize for anything at all huh. it's a primitive state where their minds are stuck in black and white thinking huh. somebody who is um more advanced more mature more healthy is able to say like shoot you know what like i screwed up yesterday i really should not have said that and i shouldn't have fought with you that way mm-hmm their psyche can say, yeah, yesterday, that piece of me, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. Versus I am an awful person because I screwed up for an hour. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, how to forgive yourself for accepting this treatment from someone? I think the most important thing is first to um, really check in with yourself, with your inner child, mm-hmm. and try to identify what it was unconsciously that drew you to them in the first place. And then also what drew you to stay with them? What was it? Because it's not that you're a weak, bad person. That's not it. That's too simple. Mm -hmm. That can't be the answer. I would go looking for what your inner child needs. What happened in your family of origin? Was there a lack of love? Was there fighting? Was there um, coldness? Was there manipulation? Was there intrusiveness? What things happened in your childhood that maybe you're trying to replace now Mm -hmm. and you're going about it the wrong way because it can't be fixed now. It's over with. Your childhood's done and what you didn't get has to be grieved. It can't be replayed and like sought out now. So it's not that you're, you're, you've done something wrong or you're weak or whatever you feel like you can't forgive yourself for. You need to figure out what you were looking for, grieve that. And then go on to your next relationship without seeking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask you, how about the people, I feel like this is common, that they end up in a relationship where they're trying to fix or change the other person. So many, not, I mean, not always, but many times when that's happening, the person was also trying to fix or change one of their parents when they were little. Say their mom got postpartum depression mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the child turns into a jokester. Or the really happy-go-lucky, tell like teasing type of person mm-hmm. that may have developed from them trying to cheer up mom when they were two, three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, could it be something that somebody doesn't even remember? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, yeah. Most of these things come from what we don't remember, and we just developed it, these traits in relation to our parents or the people around us, and we don't remember it. So, how can you? treat people if they don't even remember certain parts of like why they have certain traumas or things like that if they can't if their brain has blocked it out the way that it the way that therapy works most of the time we call it corrective emotional experience so when you sit with a therapist um 
Actually, one of the questions coming up, this really applies to one of the scenarios that the person wrote out in detail. When you sit with a therapist, the way that you relate to other people, whether it's your toxic partner or your friends or your parents, will come out again in your relationship to the therapist sitting in the room. And that's how we work. When we see and experience you relating in the way that is harmful to you and Mm -hmm. kind of screws you over. And so it's not necessarily when you were two years old, X, Y, Z happened. It's more you you bring that sort of broken relationship pattern to the therapy room and therapist can see it, calls it out, and then you work through it. I see. So I think one of the next, one of the questions that we read last time was um, somebody talking about how they're not sure how to show up in their relationship as authentically as they want to mm-hmm. because they've had a whole lifetime of not sharing their emotions. Mm-hmm. That's something they could sit down with a therapist and go over and set a goal in their head of, okay, I'm going to try to bring every part of myself out into the open and share it with this person. It's going to take a lot, a lot of time mm-hmm. and a lot of hard work, but that's how you begin to use the therapist sort of as practice. Like, I wish I could tell my boyfriend these things, but I'm going to practice telling my therapist these things to see what will happen. What are some resources for people that let's say they can't afford a therapist or where can they go online or um, there's, or what Instagram can they follow? There's a holistic psychologist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Holistic psychologist is excellent. She really does a good job of describing the inner child and she's sort of, I mean, she sounds more psychodynamic in nature, which I really like because I'm psychodynamic, but I think that pop culture says CBT is best, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a more directive type because research can back it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even know that that's really true. I mean, obviously research can back CBT. It's easy to do the research, but there are fMRIs backing psychodynamic therapy as well, showing that it actually changes your brain structures relating with somebody over a period of time. So I really like holistic psychologist because she's, talking so much about the inner child. She does an excellent job of describing it in a way that you're like, oh, okay, I get that from her little memes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really she has like little charts that are just mm-hmm. straight, really straightforward, um, which are great. There's also, you were saying that meditation is good and then there's something that you can buy. Do you attach it to your ears? Yes. Okay, oh, yeah. so meditation is excellent because when we go to the gym and we go for a run, it's working out the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight. When you go to meditate, you work out the other part of your nervous system, the parasympathetic side, resting or digesting. When you're in a toxic relationship, a lot of times your cortisol is through the roof all the time. You always have adrenaline. You're always amped up. You're always ready for the next threat to come at you or the next fight or the next um, friend who's telling you to break up with them. Yeah. I think it's important that we sit down and meditate and strengthen the part of your brain and your nervous system that can calm you down Mm -hmm. because it actually works throughout the day. Not just when you're meditating, the part of your body gets stronger at calming you down. Mm -hmm. So depending on what your finances are, uh, YouTube has tons of free meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, Just search guided meditation or meditation music. If you want to spend a little bit more, I would recommend the Headspace app. Mm Excellent. Very simple. I've had many clients use it, use that. And if you want to spend a little bit more, my favorite and the most well-researched is this thing called heart math. Mm -hmm. And it's this little, um, it's 
like a device. Uh, yeah, like a device. It hooks up Bluetooth to your phone and you clip it on your ear and it's able to tell your pulse, so your heart rate, and also your heart rate variability while you're meditating. Mm-hmm. So the purpose we want to know our heart rate variability is when we have high heart HRV, mm-hmm. it means our body is calm, it's in sync, and our brain, our heart, and our gut are all working synergistically, healing ourselves. Mm-hmm. When we have low heart rate variability, we are anxious, angry, upset, any kind of those emotions, and your body can't really talk to each other because it's in fight or flight and survival mode. So if you use this heart math um, thing while you meditate and you think of positive, grateful thoughts or just focus on your breath, you can actually see it on your phone screen that mm-hmm. you're you're more in coherence. That's amazing. So I think it's fascinating. That's yeah. what's motivated me to be able to keep meditating every day. Yeah, you're getting really cool. something out of it. Yeah, yeah. right. I think right. it's about one hundred and forty dollars, something like that. Okay, it's a but great investment. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Heartmath.com. It's an app, but you have to order the app is free, but you have to order the device. I see. From okay. just Google Heartmath. Heartmath. Okay. Okay, great. And then there's the um, join one love that people were recommending. This is a recommendation from people sent our listeners. Us, yeah. Um, is join one join one love dot com dot org. Sorry. And another thing. Uh, that people were saying when I was reading through some of the messages is uh, joining support groups for people. Like once you get out of the relationship, sometimes it's good to just be around. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they said is just join support groups online to be able to talk to other people and keep each other accountable and have somebody else that understands. Yes. That reminds me there. Shoot. I still can't remember what it was. One of my psychologist colleague friends um, loved this Instagram page, something about narcissists. I think you said it. If you just search narcissist, yeah. If you search narcissist, it will come up as one of the top one, like dating a narcissist or something Uh on Instagram. There's a ton of followers. Uh So you'll be able to find it. But she found that to be a really excellent resource. Yeah. And in a lot of the stories we read from people who got out of relationships, all it took from them was Googling their situation and then them finding lists and um, groups and, and feeling like, oh, wow, I identify with these other people. I identify with these lists and being able to sort of self-diagnose their situation by just Googling. You found a great list. How important it is. Yeah, there's a great list. I think it's 51. There's for people who are in relationships where both partners want to work on it or uh-huh. you're the toxic one and you want to work on it. Um some of the books that I could recommend, I already said five love languages. Mm. That's excellent. Extremely popular. Another one is called messages. It's got kind of a green cover. Um, the communication skills book. This is one that we actually went through when I was in graduate school. And that's probably the best workbook for being able to, to improve your communication skills with your, your partner. Mm. Highly recommend that one by Matthew McKay. And we didn't really go into it today too Mm -hmm. much what borderline personality disorder is, but many of those people are extremely hard to be in relationships with. Um, And also if you are the one with BPD, it's extremely hard for you to be in relationships. A really great book that I would recommend to read is called Stop Walking on Eggshells, Taking Your Life Back When Someone You Care About Has Borderline Personality Disorder. Uh, It's by Paul Mason. And I really recommend that as well. That helps even if it's your sister or your daughter or Mm -hmm. anybody in your life that has BPD. Helps you understand them. Okay. So good. I actually found out 
uh, the website that I usually recommend for people to look up if they're not sure if they're in an unhealthy relationship. It's on Psychology Today. And um, if you look up, it's called 51 Signs of an Unhealthy Relationship. And then they also have 50 signs of a healthy relationship. So you can look through them. And sometimes, I don't know why, when we're in these relationships, we don't even think about Googling or researching about unhealthy relationships, but it's usually clear as day when you start doing research that you're not in a good one. Um, I remember in a past relationships that I've been in, when I looked at this list, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, out of uh, 51, I have 48 of these. So <laughs> definitely in a bad one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great resource. If you are looking for a therapist, the best directory pretty much nationwide is called psychologytoday.com. Mm-hmm. It's a directory of all therapists. You can read their bios and see who you um, might connect with. And then if you don't have the finances to afford an experienced therapist, I would recommend you can check with your insurance depending on where you live. And that may be an ex, somebody might be an excellent fit for you. If they're not, um, look for an associate who is newer, but you might really connect with, mm-hmm. I would recommend going that route. Connection is more important than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then who knows, once the associate years pass by, you can still lock in the price, you were saying? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times they won't raise their fees too much as they become licensed and are more experienced and mm-hmm. are better therapists. Yeah. Yeah. And you can also sometimes ask them if they're able to do sliding scale mm-hmm. where there's free clinics. Yeah. Without going through specific stories first, maybe maybe I can just sort of give you the uh, uh, a common scenario that we kept seeing in some of these. Would that work? The people who aren't in good relationships, but they're worried that they're not going to find anybody better. So they sort of stay because they think, well, if I do leave this person, what if they're, they're good is as good as I'm going to get, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's common. I think that's really common. And the one of the things you can do is when you do break up with them or if you're strong enough or even before you break up with them, the thing that you can control is to work on yourself. How can you heal your inner child? How can you talk more um, nicely to yourself? How can you... um, grow in your other relationships in your life? How can you strengthen your assertiveness? How mm-hmm. can you strengthen your boundaries? There are so many things that you can do to help yourself grow more. And naturally, once you've grown more yourself, you'll be more prepared for a better, more mature relationship. Mm-hmm. But you have to consider that when you're currently in an abusive one, that person's beating down your mind and making you think worse things about yourself are true. Mm-hmm. They're distorting your reality and mm-hmm. it actually becomes your reality once you internalize it all. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a habit you yeah. know, after after a while. That's just how you start seeing the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would take a lot of work. Not because you are bad, but because something happened probably in your past that makes you already in this relationship and scared to leave it. Mm-hmm. You have wounds to heal. What do you think about when you finally leave just to block that person and just not talk to like do you think it's better cold turkey like just why do they even say cold turkey i don't know i never <laughs> really thought about that so i don't like, actually know I, either i don't know <laughs> i said that out loud i was like that's just cold why turkey. did i say that but that's a saying that like yeah do, do you just like cut them out or or like what if you like talk to them a little bit but you like break up but you're still friends like i feel like there that's also an issue too with people having trouble 
Yeah, definitely. A lot of clients come to me with the same issue. I think that's really important. The more toxic it is, the more important it is to go completely cold turkey. Yeah. I think it's the same like we talked about at the beginning. It's the same as any addiction. You don't slowly wean yourself off the cocaine. It's true. That's not not going to happen. And if yeah. it's a really toxic relationship, it's like weaning yourself off heroin. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You have got to go cold turkey. You've got to have a support system. Mm-hmm. You've got to have friends or parents who are who you've already set up like whenever i want to text um x i'm going to text you instead mm-hmm. yeah it's like whenever i get that craving what am i going to do instead yeah and you'll have to sit down and figure out some coping you'll have to go to the gym you'll have to paint you'll have to be prepared with okay this is what i'm going to do when i have a craving to call x yeah and know that after the extinction burst the craving will go down after a while but it might sort of just live in the back of your head for six months, a year. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep it on the back burner, not the front. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, we talked about your secret to life last time you were here, and I want to make sure we, we get to that today. Yes, I'm glad that you said that because I would have forgotten. One, when I was in graduate school, I had a supervisor who was training me, and he said that the goal in life is not to be happy. It's to feel the entire span of human emotions and be okay with them. Because when you can't do that and you're too sad, you go drink. When you're too angry, you scream at your partner and slam the doors. When you're too joyful, you think, let's throw a party and get all the alcohol. But the goal is to be able to feel the whole range and sit with it and sometimes just cry Mm. or just be happy. So great. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So one of the uh, stories that we we got, um, it says, slight backstory. I've always wanted to be a mom. I married the love of my life, but he has two kids and he doesn't want more. I knew this was going to happen going in. It took time, but I found peace with it. I thought being a step-parent would feel the same as being a parent. It doesn't. The stepkid's mom is, how do I say this, evil. She regularly talks crap about my husband and I to the kids. They believe her. Will they ever see the light? And really what I want to know is, assuming they don't, how... And where do I find peace again? Peace with not being a parent at all, even with two kids. I really like this story because I think it's something that is important to talk about. Um, First, I want to address that there is a chance they could come around. I have um, many teenage clients who are starting to get older. They're 17, 18, and they're starting to realize that one of the parents has actually alienated them from the other and they're realizing this is not what I thought it was. Whether that happens when you're 16 or 25 or 35, um, that could still happen. However, the fantasy and the wish of becoming a parent can be so strong. And for you, it sounds like it really is. What I would recommend is to seek out grief counseling because that's something you wanted that's not going to happen. It sounds like it's it's some it's a fantasy that needs to die and it needs to be grieved in order for you to come to acceptance on the other side and have peace about it um i would recommend seeking out a grief counselor there are also group therapy might be good for this um group therapy is excellent for a lot of things and there probably are books as well and support groups and you will have to find different passions in life and different things that you want to do as you grow old and have really strong friend connections. Okay, another um, situation that was sent in says, Hi guys, I'm not married. 
but I'm in a relationship where I struggle to share how I feel and often feel alone because of it. Quite a broken type of love was demonstrated to me through my parents. And since being in a relationship, a lot of issues from my childhood have resurfaced. I cannot bring myself to explain it, all the fears that come with it, all to my partner as he also has a lot of issues specifically with sharing emotions or having them shared with him. Any advice on how to work through an issue both you and your partner have trouble addressing? Okay, so this situation is an excellent example of someone who could really benefit from therapy. We even referenced it earlier in this podcast about somebody who can sit down with a therapist and practice ways of being that they haven't really ever done before. Mm -hmm. So to this person, I would recommend if you can afford it and you have the resources, go to therapy and challenge yourself to continually share more and more sides of yourself that you've maybe never shared before. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't have the resources or you live somewhere where it's not possible, I would recommend journaling to both you and your partner, if your partner's willing to work on it, try and journal so at least you know what all of your thoughts are. If you haven't written them down or you haven't spoken them, they're jumbled up in your head. And if you write them down, you'll discover things that you didn't even know you were thinking or feeling. And same thing you can recommend to your partner. And then I would slowly over time, maybe sit down and have your own couples therapy, set aside one hour and have a couples therapy date, even if you don't have a therapist, where you both try to talk about how to talk about more emotions with each other. And many times when people get uncomfortable because of it, it reminds them of their mom always crying. So it makes them uncomfortable when their girlfriend's crying Mm. or their dad got super angry. So they're scared that if their partner's also honest and angry, they will shut down and can't respond to it. So talk through some of those things to just try and get to know each other better. And you might be able to use your journals as a starting point to do that. Yeah, that's such great. That's perfectly said. Also, um, what this sounds like too is just letting the other person know what your triggers are. Mm -hmm. So then they can be more aware. And triggers aren't necessarily meant to be avoided. Yeah, uh, pop culture. I think it's starting to go away a little bit now, but for a while there was a movement of we need to put trigger warnings and warnings on everything and avoid everything that triggers somebody. Yeah, no, that incre- that increases PTSD. That increases anxiety. You need to know what your own triggers are and use that as a a map to go looking where your trauma is and heal it. Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, you need to heal your triggers, you can't just, not avoid them. Right, because you can't just avoid them. Ever. There's not going to be a sign everywhere. And then what if you're in public and there's a trigger and it's just like you can't get away from it. From the other situations sent in, just sort of the overall theme running throughout them mostly were about people staying in relationships because they don't think that there's anybody better. Um, yeah. Got that. Um, yeah. I think a lot of a lot of it was answered. With the questions. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. A lot of them, yeah, definitely. Thank you, everybody, for sending all of your situations in and for being so vulnerable and open. And I hope that, well, I know that this podcast is definitely going to help you. Um, Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming in and uh, sharing your knowledge with Mm us. Thank thank you for having me. I hope that it helps other people. I think it definitely will. And I just want to thank you again for coming back. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Thank you. For people that are listening, I know that they're going to ask, where can they find you? Um, What's your website? How do they find you online? 
Um, my website is lateentherapist.com, like teenager. So L-A-T-E-E-N therapist.com. And I have a private practice in Santa Monica, California. Okay, great. And then do you do anything? Is it in person, over the phone? Do you Skype? How does that work? I only do in-person in sessions and occasionally Skype with my kids who move away to college. But other than that, I, you like I really like starting in person. I think in person is definitely the way to go. However, I recognize some people live in rural areas mm -hmm. and then seeking out like a Skype or online therapist, definitely do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you are great. You. We love talking to you. I know I speak for both of us. We love talking to you and listening to what you have to say. Yeah, yeah. this was fun. That was our conversation with Elizabeth. She is so freaking awesome. Yeah, she's she's amazing. I'm really glad she was here. And I hope that all of you enjoyed it as much as we did. Mm -hmm. I really would love to even maybe have her back some other time. Yeah. She just has so much knowledge. Yeah. Maybe uh, if you would like to leave anything in comments, messages at our the Join Amanda podcast Instagram yeah. or under the reviews, you can say, oh, please bring Elizabeth back to talk about you know, whatever topic it is. Mm -hmm. But um, thank you all of you for always being so just on top of it and just giving us so much feedback. And, you know, when we ask for, what would you like to hear? We get so many messages. I'm so sorry we couldn't get to all of them, but I hope that you got what you needed from at least the answers that she gave to other questions. Yes, that is so well put. You are the greatest. <laughs> you're the, you're you the greatest. Are the greatest. <laughs> it sounds like they're going to think that we're just like, it's a show thing because we do it every time. I can't help it. It's like, I can't, I'm sorry. No, you're I, the greatest. I can't help it. Um, right. Yeah, I, everything Amanda just said is spot <laughs> on. Um, thank you all so much. We love you. Thank you. Love you. Good night. Good day. Good evening. Goodbye. Good night. Oh. <laughs>